This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today, and may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. You know, I think I think we just just going to go right to it. Um, five years ago, when I came to this church. This church had a membership of 237, 340 in the books. Now, when I say in the books, you already know. If you're, if, you're, if you're a Christian, if you go to church regularly, you know that the names on the books are not as many most of the time. Or it does not reflect the actual attendance of the church. And this is across the board in North America, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, as well as the Christian church all throughout. Are you guys familiar? Do you know that, right? I think most of you know that. So out of 239, 340, I don't know how many around there we had. In the last five years, by God's grace, we've added about, I don't know, 45 to 50 people, I think, through the five years. have come to professional faith through transfer, maybe, maybe close to 60. So that's something, transfers and all that. And some have left. But there's been others that the church... About 10 years ago, the North American Division of Seventh Adventist Church, the ones who lead out, said we need to allow our books to reflect better our actual attendance, so the membership. So they've been in this drive to uh, ask pastors and church members and boards to, um, to drop from the books names that they, that they don't even know what's going on in their lives, people that they haven't seen in 10, 20 years sometimes. But they're still in the books of the church. So again, this, I'm not the only one. This is not the only church that's been doing this in the Seventh Adventist Church. We started this about five years ago. And just this year again, we dropped about 58 names. This last business meeting that we had. 58 names. Makes a total of about 110 people we have dropped. Names, not names, let me say that. We haven't dropped people. We have dropped names from our books. We have right now about 159 members in the church. And out of those members, about 68 of those names that we have in our church, we really don't know what's going on with them. We do have an address, but my clerk tells me, my church clerk for membership says that he's going to guess that once we send out those that are trying to find out what's going on with them, because some of them we haven't heard from years now, he says, he said, my guess is that we're going to get a lot of those back from the, from the post office saying, this is not a good address. You're going to have to find this guy some other way. So why, why does that even matter to you? Or why do you need to know that? Two things that you need to know. We just read this morning, Jesus said, he sent us to the world just as he was sent to the world. Amen. But along those comments, I wanted to highlight to you Along the same lines, another comment that Jesus made in, in Matthew 5, 13. And he said, you are, anybody knows what Matthew 5, 13 says? You look it up, come on, Google, everybody now. You are the salt of the earth. So as a church, as a Christian church, the North American society is becoming more and more secularized by the minute, by the day. There's less people attending to churches today than there were about 50 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. I just gave an example of one of those issues that come along with that. 
memberships that are higher than the actual attendance of the church. We cannot fit more than 160 people in this place. That means if every chair is packed. But look, most of you don't even come to the front rows because you're sitting behind, right? So we have maybe about 100 people, maybe 80 people today here in the midst. 160, we could sit every single chair filled. Maybe, maybe 80 we have today. So we're, how serious are we taking this command, this, this words of Jesus, that he sent us to the world and that we are the salt of the earth? I mean, let's be honest. Think about that. Because taking it seriously is not, and, and by the way, if you're not a member of the church, if you don't know Jesus Christ, and, and, and this is your first, church, church, this first time in church, this doesn't apply to you. But taking these statements and these commands of Jesus seriously doesn't mean that you come to church week by week, week by week, sit there, and don't get engaged, and don't do anything, and then just seem to think that you're doing what God asks you to do. Just because you're coming to church, you're probably better off than a lot of people that don't come, right? Amen? Yeah, you can say amen. But that's not God's final purpose for you or for me. Let me give you the next, the next thing and check this out. People come to Christ and into the church and stay in the church primarily through what? Now, this is a fact. This is a proven fact through the decades. In 1970s, the church did a study. And in 1993, again, this is the Seventh Adventist Church. Now, Barnett, uh, which is a Christian researcher who does across the board, they're not all denominations, they prove the same thing. That most people come into the church, come to Christ, and, and stay in the church through relationships. In other words, it's not the big evangelistic meetings they're going to bring people. Remember two years ago, maybe about almost two years ago, we had this evangelist that came from the conference. And he preached for about, I don't know, three, five weeks, I think. We brought the first weekend that he came in, we, sent, we spent about, I think, five to $10,000 sending out flyers, right? We had a big crowd. This place was full. Everybody was full. By the 10th night that he was preaching, when he started talking about the state of the death, the Sabbath keeping and the tithe and all that, all those people, all the new people that came from the mail-outs were gone. At the end of the effort, the only ones who were baptized is people that we knew that had connections. The mother was here. The brother was here. We knew them. We had a relationship with them. And those were the ones that came to baptism. In other words, we could have baptized them without evangelists coming through. But, boom, you know what? I, I didn't write this down on the presentation, so I need to give you this, these facts now that I remember to make this kind of a clear to you. Some of the statistics that I, that I, I, I highlighted. Highlight, oh, hold on. Where are those things? I know I did an outline. Where's that? Oh, there you go. Churches that are most effective in winning new generations say this. These are people that are bringing young generations in the church. Okay? People, churches that are growing. This is what they say. They say um, friends, relatives, acquaintances, and people talking to people are the most how people come into our congregation. 80% of the churches that are growing and are healthy and are bringing people into the church, they say that is through 
people, talking to people, relationships. Around two-thirds say in small group ministries, which again is relational, right? Other third uh, of, those, of those who were pulled or, or those research that have been done said that community service activities bring people into a church. When you create an opportunity for people to, uh, to rub shoulders with shoulders and get to know and talk and do something in the community. Yeah. Amen. Last, this is the last, where the traditional approaches to evangelism like revelation seminars, public meetings, and pastor's class. In other words, the traditional approaches to evangelism do not work anymore in bringing people to the church as effective as relationships. In other words, what's the next? In other words, you are the person most likely to win people within your circle of influence. Do you understand that? People that you know, and do the exercise. I mean, think about this. Do this exercise when you go home. Now, don't do it now because then you're going to start writing down and you're not paying attention to me anymore. But listen to this. Go home and write down how many people you know that don't go to church. That, uh, it's what's called the unchurched population. And I'm willing to bet if I was a betting man, which I'm not, that you will know, statistics show, anywhere between 100 to 200 people that you know that do not go to church. So the question is, and, and I know, the main thing, the main argument is, well, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I don't have the gift of evangelism, right? I'm not a speaker. Again, you're missing the point. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism. And not every one of us is an evangelist and could talk to people and, and relate like that. But every one of us could be a what? Not an evangelist, but a witness and a friend. You, could, you, you got it. It's a friend. But every one of us could witness for Christ. Amen? So the question is, how do we do it? Because after getting people to pray, one of the most important things that a pastor or church leaders could do is get people understanding that they're the ones who grow the church. Amen? And you've heard me talk about this time and time again. But I believe that today... As we get ready for some event coming up in our church, we need to understand that you are the person most likely to win people within your circle of influence. Nobody else. You are the one who knows your nephew, who knows your coworker, who knows your teacher, your, your colleague. You're the one that can make a difference. Well, listen, Ellen G. White and those of you... Some of you are really going to be happy with me today. Ellen <laughs> G. White says this. Actually, somebody have said, Mun and Salim said this, that we have a model of how to do this. And, and by the time we finish it in the next five minutes, and I'm going to give it to you short because um, most of you know that we have prepared a fellowship dinner for you, right? So stay. There's enough food. Sister uh, Lana has been working hard, and she's got some people now that are in the back helping out, setting tables. So we want to invite you to stay with us to fellowship with us, to get to know us, to share me a meal, right? But how do we do it? There's a statement that's Ellen G. White, I'm going to propose to you today that this is the best way to do it. And you think about this, go home, and then we're going to go quickly into what it means, so how to do it, and then we'll go into a scripture reading of how Jesus actually applied this. We'll read it quickly, and we'll do some applications, and then we'll pray. Because the main thing is you need to understand that it's doable. 
Amen? Christ's method alone gives true success in reaching people. Can you agree with that? Ministry of Healing, page 143. You can check it out. You can make sure that if it's right or wrong. If I'm actually just making stuff up or Ellen White actually said this. Because by the way, a lot of people pick up stuff and make up stuff that she never said, right? You heard some people like that. And it's funny because we pick and choose from Ellen White only the stuff that we like. And you hear a lot of people preaching even against the church using Ellen White. So when anybody tells you, Ellen White says, please check it for yourself. Amen? All right. So, Ministry of Healing, page 143. Christ's method alone gives true success in reaching people. So, is the way that Jesus reached out to people, is, she says, is the true way, the only way, she says, alone, that gives success. What is the way? Quickly, the next one. Because she finished the statement doing this. This is what Jesus did. The Savior mingled with men as someone who desired the good. So, it, it's... You could do this. Can you do this? That word mingle, it may be, again, Ellen G. White's right from the first, at the turn of the century, so it might be old English for you. But what it mingle means is she hang out, he hang out for pe- with people, right? He mingled with them. Not only just mingle with people for the sake of mingling, but as someone who what? Who desired their good. Someone mingled with people. One of the blessings that I'm having now is, and, and somebody was asking me yesterday, are you enjoying the chaplains in the military? And I was, had to go to the armory last, yesterday again. You know, one of the things I'm really enjoying is just the fact that in the military, all they want you to do, the main thing that chaplains do, they say, is you need to be out with the soldiers and just get to know them. Be out there. That's the number one thing that we get to do. Just mingling, hanging out, being there with the soldiers. Can you do that? Can you just mingle with people? I'll be honest with you. Some of us don't even know how to mingle. Some of us think that that means that we got to tell people all the time, be preaching to them about the Sabbath, about the state of the dead, about the, the, the you know, whatever they're wrong. You think that mingling is coming up to someone. You know, you know what? Um, I tell you what, your little girl, man, what's wrong with your little girl? She's just a baby, right? So this doesn't apply to you. But do you think that mingling is just coming up to somebody and let them know what's wrong with them? No, that's not mingling. That's creating enemies. <laughs> not friends. Enemies. Be honest. I mean, if someone comes to you and just tell you that, you're like, who? You, you, what? Get out of my face. Which is what a lot of people do to Christian people. Fanatics. Right? Mingling is chillax. Relax, just go up to people, mingle, be their friend. Just be with them, show them that you care, like you really want their good. You don't have to be preaching to them all the time. Just be a friend, mingling with people. Number two, what does Jesus say? Not only he mingled, but, and this is number two, he says, he showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. This is three steps in one. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. That's three steps in one. He showed his sympathy. He really cared. He's really concerned about their needs. It's not just to gain a convert. It's not just to, to, to talk about the Bible or convince them. It's, I really want what's best for you. 
And then once you prove yourself to that, he says, minister to their needs. Think about Jesus. But we're going to go to the Bible to see how Jesus did this, how he actually applied it. Minister, taking the time to actually respond to somebody's needs within your capabilities. Sometimes you find out that you can't really solve everybody's problems, right? But you could be there and you could help them to move along and you could be of support. This doesn't mean that you got to be, uh, you know, the one that answers everybody's problems. No, that's not it. Because people say, well, that means I'm going to have to become like social worker or something like that. No, that's not it. Is that, and the church is not that either. The church is there to support the people. To show them that we care. Perhaps we may not have all the resources that are needed to help you, but we will try our best. And we will minister in the best way we can to your particular needs. And then, after that, then he says, and the third step there is he won. By that time, he's won their confidence, which means now they trust you. Amen? Now, you think about that. You hang out, you show up, you hang out with people, you be their friends, you become their friends, you show that you care, you minister to their needs. They are going to trust you, right? It's only then. Can we do this? Yes, we could do this. And then the final step, and I'm going to cover this really quickly because the time is gone. Then he bathed them, he bathed them, or invited them, again, all English, telling you why, back in the turn of the century, to follow me. He bathed them, he invited them, follow me. It's not until he had won the conference, he had proved himself to them, showed that he cared, that he had his, their best interests at heart, that now they trust him, then he was able to call them and said, now, follow me. I think this is the best way. This is friend-to-friend evangelism. This is number one easy way of bringing people to Christ. And this is the way that people actually come to Christ. By relationships, by friendships, this is the best way to grow a church. Think about this. Each one of you will... Practice this next week or two weeks from now. We'll have this place packed up. <laughs> Not only filling this place up, but just imagine what a difference we would have done or have been in the world, making a difference in people's lives. Can you think about that? Turn with me quickly. And, and we're just going to read this quick and then see how Jesus applied this in, in Turn to John chapter 4. I only got a couple of minutes. So this is, you know this, so we're not going to spend a lot of time in this. You know the story. But I want to point out a couple of things, how Jesus actually applied this. John chapter 4. You know who I'm going to talk about? Anybody? John chapter 4. The woman at the well. As the chapter begins, chapter 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Now, Jesus was being effective in ministry, wasn't he? He was being, even growing bigger than, 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 uh, than I, I want to say something. Is, is it too cold here? Some of you are having a hard time with cold. <laughs> Can we bring down the air condition, guys? Um, I think I see some people standing up, some people just shivering. And if it is too cold, how do we have it? We have it a... All right, break it down a little bit, because I see some people just uh, having a hard time listening, and uh, we got to pay attention, guys, uh, our ushers. 
Look around. Um, all right. So don't leave. We, we're going to fix that. Um, so Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. He was being effective in ministry, right? Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and then went away again into Galilee. And the word of God says, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called uh, Sikar, near the par parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And uh, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus... Be being weary from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7. There came a woman at Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples have gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is who says to you, Give me a drink, you will have asked him, and he will have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and to, and the, uh, to draw the well with, and the well is deep. Where then you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and, he, and, and his cattle. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give, her, give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Can you say amen? So, did Jesus mingle with this woman? Yes. He went to the well where she was hanging out. He knew she would come. And how did he show that he actually cared for her? He showed his sympathy for her and ministered to her needs. Can you, can you uh, understand how he did that there? Anybody? How did he do that? Started the conversation. Started sharing that he cared. And have you noticed something that happens, and, and it's, it's very... Jesus is, it's, I mean, he knew people, right? He's the son of God, but he was really good with people. He knew that the best way to approach this woman was to actually ask her for a favor. Sometimes you don't have to confront people and ask them to do something for you. Sometimes, I mean, to do, you ask them to do you a favor. Because when someone is, the, you're depending on someone, their defense is what? Drop down. Because now you are at their mercy. And Jesus says, hey, give me some water. He knew what he was going to say next. He knew that that conversation was going to lead to telling, to talk about her life. And he cared about her life to the point that when they started talking about theology, and you could go into the details of it, but Jesus brings it to the point that he wants to minister to her needs. And her needs were relational, right? To the point that she had more than five husbands, or I don't know how many. And... The one that she was living with was not the husband. So Jesus got to her need, and he ministered to her, to those needs. And then he said this beautiful thing. He said, by the way, Jesus needs to be the center of our witnessing. Can you say amen? Notice that Jesus didn't get into the state of the dead or into 2,300 days or anything. He was, he was telling, listen, woman, you need something that I got, and what you need is a relationship with Jesus. Amen? This is how we start, folks. I know 
we've talked to people and, and people keep telling me, Pastor, you know this and that, Pastor. Listen, there's no argument about this. The way how you get to people's heart, there's no other way but through Jesus Christ. Amen? And presenting him as the answer. Not only that, but he said to this woman, listen, I have water that if I give you the water that I know I could give, she said, he said, you will become, that person will become a spring of living water. In other words, then people will come to you, then you will share with people, and then you become a, an instrument of God to reach out to others. But Jesus is, needs to be at the center of our, of, of our, of our witnessing. No matter where you start, you need to end up talking to people about Jesus. And so he did care. He did show his mercy. And then he did finally ask her to follow. Remember that? And she became such a refreshing spring of living water that she went to her town. And then she brought other people. And, and the story finishes by saying, and, and, and we'll read it together. For, uh, they asked him to say, for that, in that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of whom? Of the woman who testified. What did she do? She didn't evangelize. All she did was she testified. He told me, she said, all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. All the woman did was to witness what he's told me. So you and I must witness. But in order to do that, she, we need to hear the word of God and the voice of God into our lives. Amen? In other words, unless you know Jesus in this personal and intimate way, and he has spoken about who you are and your needs and really dealt with you individually. In other words... We cannot bring anybody to Christ if we're trying to fake it. If we just, and this, this, is, this is very important, folks. Just not too long ago, somebody called me back and we met with somebody that I've been trying to get a hold of for a while. And we sat down and, 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 and talked and ate lunch and shared. And this person is someone that had been misled away from Christ with an emphasis of, of, uh, of talking to people about the end time and about the destruction that's coming and all this and those, all this sensationalist way of looking at the scripture. And as I was sitting down in that table, talk, you know, listening to this person, and this is, this is what came through. This person, God was helping them realize that in order to share about Christ, it had to be more than just talking about the scriptures or just sharing information or dates or final events. That in order to bring someone to Christ, in order to share Christ with someone, there needs to be a personal connection. There needs to be an authentic connection with Christ if you want to do that. So I don't know about you, but Jesus said, well, he sent us into the world, right? We started by saying that. So if you know Christ, he sent you. And today, if you don't know Christ and you're here, I want to tell you that for whatever reason you came, Jesus really wants you to know him in a personal way. 
And if you're in the middle, if you don't even know, you've been coming to church for a long time, you've been trying to bring people to Christ, but up to now, you haven't brought anybody. All you've gotten is enemies instead of friends. <laughs> it's time to repent. And in humility, go before the Lord and ask Him sincerely to give you a passion for the lost. One thing in chapter 1, and I finished with this. I, I told William I was going to preach for 20 minutes. <laughs> William, I didn't lie, man. It's just hard. In the beginning of chapter 4, the Bible says, and Jesus had to go through Samaria. Some of the authors think that he had to go because of the route that he must take. Because he was the only way there. But that's not true because there would be more than one ways to go where he wanted to go. But he needed to go there. I believe that, the, that, that this Bible writer writes he had to go because Jesus needed to meet this woman at the well. And that speaks to me about Jesus had a heart for the lost. He knew that he needed to meet her where she was. So I don't know about you, but you are the salt of the earth. And if we must be effective in ministry, we must ask that God will give us this passion for the lost.